0: Wacky to a falls, if you ask me, that's killing. And now, with my mate Bill Sharp on the keyboard, shuck attack. Down, 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 down,
1: down, down. This is 80sography Anatomy of a Song.
0: Bill Sharp.
1: Down on the street, shout.
0: Welcome to a and another anatomy of a song, and like the previous anatomy, another personal one. So whereas Nigel And was very much inspired or the idea of interviewing is inspired by my son. Uh, this one is for my parents, specifically my dad. Uh, sorry mum, Shane Ward's kind of out of my 80s remit. Yeah, he's a big fan of Shack Attack, so that's what initially gave me the idea. So I'd like to dedicate this episode to my parents. I love you guys, thanks for everything, and I hope you, as well as everyone else, enjoys the interview with the main man of Shack Attack, Bill Sharp, talking about a great 80s single and much more besides. The interview starts now. A little bit of background, looking up on Wiki, so you're you're touring band with Shack Attack now. It's basically the, pretty much the same band you had when you formed, right?
2: Yeah, it's the four four original members, and uh, the we have a guitarist and singer who've been with us for, for a long time as well. But yeah, basically, apart from our original guitarist, Keith, it's the four four members, so not bad going, really.
0: That's incredibly rare. Can I think of maybe you two who kind of you formed two. at the same
2: time? Yeah, yeah what do you put that down to? We were successful maybe a bit, uh, we were a bit older. We weren't sort of like teenagers and um, we were friends. We'd known each other, I guess, a little bit beforehand and um, we've been in the business doing different things. So, um, yeah, and I mean, we, you know, like like anybody, I mean, it's not to say we didn't have our ups and downs, but um, we just kind of get on really. And we're, we're No, nobody really had sort of like a massive ego, particularly we've all had. Mm-hmm. Different sort of sets of solo success, and um, and I think you know, yeah, just we have managed to keep each other's feet on the ground, really, which is which is which is good. Excellent. So you formed in 1980. What was the intention
0: of the group when you formed it? Do you have an idea in mind about what the group would be, and was it and something you all understood together, or something you kind of just gradually got to over time?
2: Well, I mean, originally, I mean, I I'll have to give credit to our old uh, producer Nigel Wright. It was sort of his sort of idea in that. Um, we uh we were listening to a lot of music uh, coming over from the states you know like the crusaders and uh uh broyer's you know <clears throat> all that kind of jazz funk sort of stuff and um and, uh, there was kind of a bit of a, a movement going in, in in this country with like the world high tension sort of bands like that you basically we were chatting away in the studio once doing some sessions and wouldn't it be nice if we did uh similar kind of thing because that's that's the kind of music we were playing in in lots of different bands so I was playing uh, in a band with our drummer Roger and Keith, our original guitarist and uh, bass player, uh, who was Trevor Horn, actually, who was um, went on to do quite well as a producer. He was uh, your original uh, bass player, really. He was our original, not in Shack Attack. This is in a band before Shack Attack. pre Shack Attack. Band called Tracks. So the three, three of us, Keith, Roger, myself, Trevor, We were in this band. Anyway, so um, Roger was also playing in a in a Mecca band. I mean, in those days. We're going back to the late 70s, and we used to have bands playing chart music, basically. And Jill and Nigel uh, were, were part of that band. So Roger was kind of the pivotal guy, really, putting it together. I'd, had, I'd written some tunes, and Nigel had heard them, suggested, why don't we go in the studio and uh, record them, and, and you write some new stuff. So I wrote uh, a couple of new songs, one of which was called Stepping, which became our first single. And it sort of came about through that, really. So even in the really early days, we didn't have a name as such. So it was sort of like a, a evolving process that way. And then it kind of started being played on the radio a bit. And we were creating a little bit of an underground thing with the whole jazz, Brit, funk thing. And, um, somebody came up with the name Shack Attack, which was, I think, originally came from a shop in Soho called the Record Shack Attack. Okay? And, <laughs> uh, and I, I remember going vocal saying, well, we found a name for the band, you know, so I wasn't part of that and it was Shack Attack, and I thought, oh, that's a pretty good name, and so, so that was the really early part, part of it, and then, you know, we were kind of part of that early Brit Funk thing, you know, with Imagination and Level 42, the Inversions, and <clears throat> lots of other bands, and uh, um, and it was it was really exciting times, actually, because it was our, our version of uh, kind of jazz funk, like the Crusaders, and particularly, it was a guy called Rodney Franklin, who had a a piano instrumental called "The Groove," which I particularly liked, and so that was a piano instrumental thing. So they were, like the Crusaders as well with Joe Sample, there were lots of different influences. But um, I guess you know we we did sound we didn't sound as American somehow. We weren't as we weren't as polished, perhaps you might say.
0: So I assume when you started, you were thinking more as an an albums act than a singles act.
2: Well, actually, we uh, we started off actually as singles, ironically, because they wouldn't give us, Polydor wouldn't give us an album deal. I think till we had at least about four singles, because in those days we had an A and R guy who was looking after us at Level Forty Two, who was a he was a really good guy actually, and he he stuck with us both for a good few years, which I don't think perhaps um, happens so much these days. And it was two years before we had our first sort of big. Oh. Easier said than done. So we had about four singles, and they finally agreed to do an album. Because <laughs> you only had um, eight tracks on an album in those days, so we had half an album already, really. So um, so that was great. And then it, it was great because it was a slow builder. We toured around. We toured all over the country for a couple of years, you know, the back in, back of a transit van kind of stuff, which was, you know, and we used to see, every everybody would see each other at Watford Gap pretty much on the <laughs> end, up and down, backwards and forwards. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was great times. I mean, obviously we were a lot younger, but I said we weren't—we weren't teenagers. You know, we were in our mid to late twenties, so so we were a little bit older. And uh, but it was uh, it was great. And, and slowly, you know, we built up this following, and um, it was uh, you know, record company stuck with us always. In life, you know, generally, whatever company you're in, you know, if you have a couple of people who believe in you, <clears throat> it makes a big difference. And we we were lucky in that way. So uh, that's kind of how it all developed.
0: Yeah, I guess you through the tougher times, I suppose, if you know you've got that support. Yeah. So um so the first four singles didn't chart, but then when Easier said than done started to climb the charts, was that a shock? Was that like an immediate thing, or was it a gradual well, process? We, had, was-
2: we were knocking at the door because obviously with we the top seventy-five, um, mostly obviously Radio One focused on the top forty.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but all pretty many all the singles kind of got into the into the top seventy-five. The second single actually got to forty-one. We were nearly that's
0: frustrating isn't it i like, just so yeah,
2: we, we actually we did a top of the pops for it but it never got shown
0: because
2: uh, you know, they used to do they used to do just in case you got into the top right, so right. uh, and then then we had another couple of singles that were both kind of top top 50 um knocking at the door and then easier said than done was going the same way and we thought oh here we go again it went to nearly in the top 40 went down again then it went back up and one of the guys at Polydor was really pushing it, and he, through his persistence with the radio stations and such et such, cetera, et cetera, we managed to get it into the top forty. And of course, we got our first top of the pops. And then, of course, as soon as you're on top of the pops in those days, that was a massive difference. And then it just yeah. went boom like that, like it was for, for any other band. But we had, a, you know, we'd had, we, you know, we'd had sort of two years of hard work and records coming out, and so we had built up a, a good following as well so between that and the record company you know we had a we had a solid sort of solid bass really which was good
0: so in terms of um writing songs you'd write with
2: roger odell yeah drummer in the band so what was the
0: process generally for
2: writing songs um well because the early tracks were pretty much all instrumental i mean i would i just used to sit at home and, uh in the early days I was, I was still living at home actually so i had fortunately I had a nice piano at home so a lot of the early stuff um i wrote on the uh the, the, the piano it was myself and my mum actually i hadn't left home by then <laughs> so i was kind of writing writing on the piano and then i had i had you know like i had a little revox tape recorder and i had an electric piano and a little drum machine so the early stuff i wrote in that process and then i, I got married and i left home <laughs> my first house i actually had uh I bought myself my first synth and so i was sort of updating stuff so easy said and done i uh, again it was just um a Fender Rose piano a little synth a drum machine and so the um all the early stuff um i i, I wrote like that as we started getting lyrics in easy said and done actually a point of fact um Roger wrote those lyrics first so i wrote the um, uh wrote the, the tune and then we decided that the verses weren't working so we kept it as an instrumental bit, and then we had the chorus, so that became our little kind of trademark. That was the first of those that sort of idea. But as as right from writing point of view, Roger and I, I guess a bit like so, sort of Elton John, Bertie, Bernie Tor, Bertie Torpin, Bernie Torpin, Bertie It's <laughs> a better name, isn't it? I like that, Bertie Torpin. <laughs> we've never we've never actually um, sat in a room and, and written together. He'll present me with uh, a bunch of lyrics, like Bernie does with Elton, and vice versa. I'll but I don't think Elm um, writes a melody and then Bernie writes lyrics to it. So I do quite often. I'll write some melodies and then Roger will write a a tune to it. So like with Nightbirds, for instance, we were working in a residential studio and I um we'd had the hit with Easy Said and Done. We needed another hit, as it was said. So they all they all uh, they all went down the pub and said Nigel said to us, you know, we need another hit. So I sat in the studio and I wrote the basic concept of Nightbirds and then of course Roger then wrote the lyric to to the chorus melody it's been tuning and fro, but uh, that's kind of our writing process and then then of course you know he'll um, as we do it i'll i'll maybe i'm not i'm not great with lyrics really i wish i was but it's mm. i think the important thing in life is to know what you're not good at and so mm-hmm. i stay out of that a little bit and um i'll make a little suggestion here and there maybe add a little lyric or whatever and then roger will as he's writing a word he might say look Perhaps you could change the melody slightly. So we, as once we got the basic idea, uh, we do sort of tweak it, and then then we kind of work together on that, I guess, a little bit. Um, and uh, which is a great process. And I mean, I love the the writing process. is uh, It's great because it's you just sitting like like anybody, I guess, will say, whether it's a book or a song. They'll say, you know, you sit there and you have got nothing. And I sit at the piano, and then suddenly, like, with the easier said than done. I did this little chorus idea, and I thought well, that's quite nice. And quite often you'll think it sounds a bit familiar. It's like someone else has written it, and then you think, "Oh no, maybe they haven't." And so that process, when you suddenly get an idea, and I've got old recordings where I'm sitting doodling, and I can hear my brain going around and suddenly getting an idea I think is quite good, and going with it. And so that process, I think, and you know, Roger Pryde say the same with lyrics. You know, you get a nice, like a, a verbal hook in a way. Like easier said than done. It was was basically said. It's just a phrase that people say. So it's a nice, it's a nice title. Nightbirds. I think, you know, with Roger, actually, in a way, those early songs particularly, when he was really just writing a chorus lyric, he wasn't writing a story. <clears throat> so in a way, it was harder because he had to almost kind of create a mood and an idea, perhaps, with just four lines. And with Nightbirds, I think it was a brilliant lyric because it summed up the sense of the song, even though it, wasn't a, um, it wasn't, wasn't a story to it, fly through the night, floating on the wing, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so I think that, that was that was, that was really clever actually. Actually.
1: Lights.
0: Yeah, because having so few lyrics, you're trying to capture a, a yeah. mood or an idea in so few lines yeah the structures of your songs a lot of the songs are quite interesting because of that because your your piano melody is the verse effectively yeah. the piano line and then you've got the the, the song chorus yeah so once you so it was easier said than done the first time you'd actually tried it that way and then everything kind of sprung from that and thought this is a good template
2: to write songs with. Mm-hmm. We had, done, we had done it before. Um, we had a couple of early songs called um, uh, Feels Like the Right Time and Living in the UK. Now, they, we didn't really have girl singers then, so we actually did that idea... But we did it on a vocoder, so it sounded like, um, you, know, like uh, you know, you hold your nose, you go living mm-hmm. in the ear, you know, lots mm-hmm. sort of yeah, yeah. But we, we had tried the, the, the verse instrumental chorus before, but Easy Said and Done was the first one where we'd actually use the girls. And uh, I remember that um, we had the long version where it starts off with the, the chorus was instrumental. Um, and the guy at the record company said, You know what, you guys need to do? You need to start the song with the chorus, with the voices, because that's the hook. So we edited it in such a way that you have a little drum instrumental and it comes straight on the, the verse, sorry, on the chorus, because then people hear the, the hook in a way, the, 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 the vocal hook, which actually was a really good idea with, with that particular song.
0: So that, Nightbirds, that's the first song I would have remembered as a kid. It's the first time I would have heard you. Yeah. <laughs> that was top 10 in 82. And then we're moving on to 83. Dark is the Night is a song I
2: really like. Yeah. What, I oh, thank great you. Great track. Uh, any memorances mem- about writing that one? I just got myself, uh, moved to my first house, bought myself a really nice old Bosendorfer piano. So I was starting to get a few royalty checks coming in. <laughs> so my first treat was a, not that the piano at home wasn't, wasn't, and that was a nice backstine, but... Um, because I was classically trained, so, so, um, so that, that was cool. So anyway, so I remember sitting at, um, at home. At that time, I was living in Epping in Essex, where I lived for about 30 years, on and off. And I had this idea for darkest of dark the Night, and I was thinking, I don't know, maybe the sort of Cole Porter line came into my head, like major to minor, because the verse is in the minor <clears throat> and the chorus is in the major. And I just thought it was kind of nice moving from one to the other. So I had this duh, 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 Darkest of Night, and um, again, it was one where I had the, the melody, and Roger wrote the words to that, and we'd had two or three songs, took it into the A&R people, and they said all oh, that, the demo of that, they said that, that could be really good, so we took it in the studio and we, we did Darkest of Night. Um, had decided, you know, it might be nice to have a bit of a sort of slow instrumental start, and you know, all the processes to go on when you're actually doing the track in the studio. Which again is is great because you sort of take my demo and then the band jump in and then production jumps in and you all work together and it's it's kind of exciting people flying ideas out and yeah let's try that let's not try that but uh, they were they were actually really good times because we were hopefully I was coming up with some decent tunes and then the band was sort of turning them into some really good records so I would say they were really good times.
1: Dark is
0: top 20 in 83 and then we move on to 84 with down on the street so do you remember the very first
2: idea you had for the song yeah it was actually again it was um a, a tune i i think i've written on the same session when, uh, when i was doing dark Darkest the night or maybe that was another writing session I, I had but um it was actually started out as a uh, more of a ballad and Roger had written a a song which was called Fool to Myself. So that was the chorus, Fool to Myself. And um, I thought, well, that's quite nice. It's a nice little ballad and all that kind of stuff. So we took it in the studio and um, (coughs) I'd actually heard, I mean, again, sometimes you do hear songs that influence what you actually end up with. And I was, um, uh, a big fan, actually. of, uh, um, There was a, you know, people call, call, kind of call him the Invisible Man. Uh, there was a documentary about a guy called Rod Temperton, who was a oh yeah wonderful writer, wonderful song. Well, I mean, obviously he wrote thriller and all the hits from Michael Jackson. I mean, just a fantastic songwriter. I loved his work, and he'd written a song for Manhattan Transfer, which is called The Spice of Life. So we were sitting in, we, in those days. We used to go to residential studios for ten days because it was a bit of a treat, and it was quite good for the creativity. And um, sitting around, I said, well, "I'm not sure about this. Um, thought to myself as a ballet. why don't we try it? Put the tempo up a little bit and try it in the same groove." yeah so yeah we up the tempo anyway so i think nice said. now the lyrics are wrong for the song because it's fool to myself was a bit doomy and a bit i've lost life you know whatever else so so then roger rewrote the lyrics he went went away and then he wrote down on the street which obviously fits fool to myself down on the street and then once we got the new lyric it was like Oh, it's just starting to take shape so it was a weird sort of way it all came about uh, and then we we just started working on it and thought wow this is um this is great so we we sent it up to polydor with just the chorus and they were straight back saying you've got to finish that that mm. is a hit record even just with the chorus alone do you think that when you
0: wrote it because you listened to it you think it's such an obvious smash did you think that the, the moment you came
2: up with that chorus do you think yeah this is going to be a hit single when it when it came in to down on the street when we got the intro down down and I thought mm. yeah this is this is this is good this is it you kind of get a feeling I remember with Nightbirds I thought yeah this could do well because it's had that little da 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 piano tune so you do get kind of an idea if something's going to be a hit I can't guarantee it but I think Down on the Street was it was such a strong chorus that we all felt that and of course then Jill finished the we finished the song got the intro going and everything and then out it came and uh, the rest is history as they did, mm. as they say. And in terms of recording it, what well, how how long did it take to record? It was actually okay. I mean, we were, we in those days, we kind of, um, Roger's, I don't know whether it was just him being lazy or not, but those were the days when we were all first discovering quite, the, you know, the early ones weren't so good, but when the drum came in, we were all uh, starting to enjoy using drum machines. So um, Dark as the Night, actually, is a drum machine. And uh, Down on the Street, it's, it's all, he, he didn't play much in the studio after that. Right, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sitting back and let <laughs> let someone program the drum machine. So anyway, so uh, um, the recording process was was I mean it was nice. As I say, we were in a it was a lovely residential studio called um Chipping Norton, Chipping Norton studios, obviously near Chipping in Chipping Norton, and the famous tunes. I mean Baker Street's probably one of the mm-hmm. most famous hits that came out of it. So it was, you got a sense of uh, you know where you were, and it was nice because you got fed and watered, and then you could work. So it was a, it was a it was a nice process, um, and um, and then we took it to another studio we used to work a lot on a place called Rock City which is in the Chatton she- Film Studio a lot so we do all the basic recording and then um, tipping it off, and then we took it to Rock City where we uh, where we mixed it and then uh, <clears throat> once it was finished, you're, in those days, you know, you'd do all the play it through a small speaker because it was still, um, yeah, I think it would, we were would still listen to medium wave, so it's like, you know, it wasn't sounding anything like it did in the studio. And then you go and sit in your car and listen to it every possible medium. And then it was like off to the record company, and that, that was it. So it was, uh, it was re- really, really. Uh, Really exciting, and then of course you wait until the release date comes out, and and then the whole process that goes with it. It was a nice experience. And doing the album actually, the Down and Street album was was great because we were on that album. It was the first time we'd used um, uh, an orchestra. So um, on Down and Street, obviously, there's a few little brass licks. There was, there was a lot more on the track. There's actually a guy called Chris Cameron who did all the arrangements. Who was George Michael's MD, but a really nice arranger on the album. There's quite a few sort of. Uh, orchestral tracks which uh, was exciting for us because we had a slightly bigger budget doing down on the street as a as a song and as an album it was uh, no it was a it was a really nice experience
0: in terms of single releases how involved were you in a the decision of what was going to be a single obviously it's a no-brainer but just generally speaking and b in terms of things like 12 mixes or single covers or how, what the video concept was going to be were you involved in that was that a record company thing that you just kind of yeah that's Absolutely. fine
2: Um, a little bit of both actually a little bit of both i mean the record design for down on the street actually was done by a friend of our guitarist actually who's a really good graphic designer so you know obviously you know major labels have their own people but they were they were okay with this guy doing the cover which is really nice because i liked like what he did with the, the graphics and everything video itself um we didn't have a massive input into it we were we talked about it with the director and stuff, but when they said this, because the idea was um, "Which worked, I think, is one of the first singles, really, that was recorded without an edit. So yeah, it's
0: yeah. one take. I've, I've never seen the video. I've only, I saw it again. I saw it this morning for the first time, and it's like yeah. that's a really cool video, actually. Yeah.
2: yeah. So it's one take, and I, I maybe I don't know if Janet Jackson had done one before, but so we were one of the first people. No, that'd
0: be that was afterwards. That was and that was it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we might have been the first band that ever did a pop video, and which was one take, so we did it at the uh, Brixton Academy, and we were there, obviously it was a long day, because you had to keep taking, rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing um, and so we were we were sort of part of it, and of course it featured Jill, obviously more than the band, but that was fine because the way it introduced all the different characters and the way it was done it just uh i thought it was great actually and it's still for me you know every band probably has a, a catalogue of math videos that they we've got we've got our fair share but that to me is probably uh probably our best video so it's it's when you see it i don't see it very often somebody whacks it up on facebook uh, it just just works really in the way she yeah. did steps at the beginning and so you know it's, it was it was a really good video actually
0: yeah and it really sells the song so how many how many takes would that have been do
2: you remember oh it took all day and into the evening so i'd say i mean we won't well, we again recorded they would have recorded a few but i'd say we we probably did the final take I and mean, we started at eight in the morning probably about five six o'clock right it was, it was a long day to get everything absolutely bang on because you know somebody screw up some bit here and there um and so uh, so yeah so it was uh, it was great actually I mean, it's funny. You you you. Well, say you don't forget things, but when you talk about stuff, the memories come back a little bit. So so uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a good one. And did you get sick of the song playing it all day? Uh, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, those they're tiring. You know, tiring days. I mean, the thing is that I guess I used to think, well, you know what? A lot of my friends were you know working in offices or you know didn't have brilliant jobs, or whatever. else, so I'm sitting here, you know, having a great time again, we're getting fed and taken care of and stuff obviously it is tiring it's hard work and that's fine I mean when I think about people making movies you know we've we, that was one day for us
0: yeah if
2: make a movie you know it's like months and months and months so uh, I mean that is hard work
0: yeah yeah. so it's out of interest what is the worst video you think you've ever done <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: enough um, of the good stuff let's go to the bad stuff I
2: need I need a list
0: uh, <laughs> you can you narrow it down is there one that springs to mind that that was a terrible video
2: yeah, I don't want to see that again. Well, I can't say it, really. Can't I? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you can
0: insinuate, if you want. You can
2: suggest. No, actually, I'm trying to remember what's songs Because we didn't do, we didn't do, we'd say, for instance, we didn't do a video for Easy Said and Done. So we didn't do videos Dark as the Night. There was no video. So we didn't um, have a video for, like, Duran Duran. You know, they had videos for everything.
0: Why was there no video for Dark as the Night?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, well, exactly. That's weird. That was down to the record company. They didn't, want to, they didn't yeah. want to do it. I would have gone that would have gone top 10 then wouldn't it with the video well i think it would have been uh, yeah. because it was just on the borderline of um mtv though so maybe that yeah. uh, was part of it uh but yeah it would have been nice to have had a video for that so dark side down on the street day by day we did one for day book because we did a track with Al day by day, which was... yes yes it was um it's an it's an alright video. That's one where we should have stepped in a bit more. Actually, so we we I think we went the wrong direction with that video. It's not a bad video, but um I think we could have done a bit better.
0: Yeah, a lot like the scene where he's like bombarding Jill with flowers. This one, yeah, <laughs> it,
2: yeah, it's um yeah we I think that would have been for me a video would have been really nice just to do in a studio with the band. Nicely filmed and just rather than make trying to make it into a sort of play and and, we, and and I think the thing with that video probably is because we're you know some some musicians might be really good actors but you know mm-hmm. generally we're, you're just not good actors and so if we're trying to play roles it was all it's all a bit oh no <laughs> so a, it's a little bit crony uh, and then there was um, there was a few Mr Manic, Doctor Doctor so I mean actually you know that that, that would been. Terrible. I'd say not not bad, but probably least favourite would be the uh, would be the word I'd use. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, where were we? oh yes. Yeah. So obviously, with the hit <coughs> single, comes top of the pops. And yeah, my memory as a kid was that Shag Attack on top of the pops <coughs> a lot. And mm. it seems to be on there because obviously you're having lots of hits. Was it an enjoyable experience? Do you have any particular memories
2: of? Oh yeah, the yeah. Time with great. Generally great. I mean, we we kind of we were why well, say we were lucky. I mean, it was um, we started. 80, I guess, 82 was our first Top of the Pops. And it was when um, it had been taken over by a guy called Michael Hurl, mm-hmm. who decided to sort of make it a bit more glam and introduce dancers. And so it was it was quite a good time to be on Top of the Pops. And the first Top of the Pops was, was easier said than done. And of course, <clears throat> as a kid, I grew up obviously Thursday night, half past seven we watched Top of the Pops. So to walk into the studio to be on it was was amazing. And it was
1: did mm-hmm. like a little
2: thing story a month or so ago when Vangelis sadly passed away. He was that wonderful sort of uh, keyboard player who did Chariots of Fire and, and um, Blade Runner. But anyway, so he was doing Top of the Pots at the same time as us with um, John and Vangelis, and we'd done the rehearsal for Easy Said Than Done, and he had a real piano, and he was <clears throat> sitting there playing the verse melody, and I was standing there. We had a little chat, and he just went like that, you know, and I thought... This is pretty cool, you know, where top of the pops, all the different artists, because it was a real variety of music in those days. Yeah. yeah. And it was so uh, it was fantastic. And Michael obviously, because for a TV director, if a, some of the song is instrumental, it's hard to know what to do in the instrumental bits. So he'd just fill it with dancers. So when I was playing the melody, there'd be somebody in front of me going, you know, doing all this sort of stuff, always goofy, all those pretty girls doing that. So yeah. that was quite fun. But um then as we did uh, Easy Said and Done, Nightbirds, Dark as the Night, then Jill started to become a bit more featured. But then, obviously, Down on the Street was it was a full song, so it was her full feature. So uh, we did Top of the Pots twice for that song.
1: And it's back to number 15. This is Shack Attack down here, and they're Down on the Street. Yes. <laughs> Back to
2: number 10. And I remember she did, uh, she had one of the, she wore a blue outfit, which at the time we all thought was quite risque because it was a blue, quite tight blue dress with a bit of cleavage showing. And uh, I thought it looked pretty cool. But um, then I think they were, it was borderline whether she should be wearing it or not. But it, yeah, it looked great. And so it was the, um, you know, dancers, balloons, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was great. And uh, it, it worked quite kind of well i think you know it's because obviously she was more let's say the focal point I mean, they'd feature all the other bands well but i think my with his his tenure at top of the pops um it was a it was a it was kind of a nice thing and then also the other thing that happened as well um because i i would worked at the bbc as well as a studio manager so i had a, a knowledge uh-huh. for a few years so i was uh, i didn't leave till uh, after easy said and done was that. i was still still a studio manager when i was on top of the pops so um which is is that
0: is that why John Peel introduces you a couple of times as my mate Bill Sharp? Hi there, welcome to the Top of the Pops. We've got loads of bands in the studio tonight, haven't we, John? It certainly have. We're going to start the program with shack attack, and my mate Bill Sharp, wearing yet another truly hideous shirt. Yeah, because I used to do uh, okay. <laughs> a so,
2: yeah, show.
0: Okay, said terrible shirt.
2: I used to record his, there was another great, him and a guy called John Walters, who were, you know, John was a great character. And as a studio manager, I used to, I pre, he used to pre-record his Thursday night show on a Wednesday. Um, so you do the show, um, and I did that for, for quite a while. So we, we all became really good friends. And so when he was asked again to do Top of the Pops, his first Top of the Pops was with, um, with us. So we, we actually, we finished working doing his show and we went down to top of the pops together which was quite fun and then he just decided to say and here's my mel- my mate bill Sharp. he used to say he had another horrible shirt or something because i <laughs> yeah yeah, sorry, to yeah wear a pretty <laughs> shirt But yeah it was really nice actually because obviously peel peel gave he gave the show a little bit of i guess credibility uh, when it was probably needed and he uh, he he was you know he has kind of like sort of laconic sense of humor yeah. very dry and um and it was great and he and then he just carried on saying this is my mate bill child which was great for me i loved it you know
0: yeah i couldn't say if it's being ironic or not like, it like no, we, actually, yeah.
2: I, we were actually friends which was nice
0: <laughs> yeah so as a BT studio manager in the 70s you must have have some stories
2: late 70s i worked a lot of made of Vale, and um so i did loads of a lot of bands that were up and coming really you know like the late 70s early 80s like Police pretenders, Elvis Costello, all like yeah. kind of late late punk stuff. So we used to do late night sessions for um for all those bands actually. So that was that was that was really exciting. Then 1980 the band started. So I was as I say I worked for the B for for two years while I was still doing Shock Attack. So so I used to get sort of um, some interesting insights into both sides of the um both sides of the sort of mirror, so to speak, being an artist and a and a studio manager. Stroke producer, so it was a, it was a re- really good time actually, and the, you know, B, B then I mean, obviously, it's changed a lot. I'm still a you know massive supporter of the BBC, and I, I think it does great things. Six radio stations, you've got world service, you've got you know the various channels and stuff. So overall, I think it's a it's a fantastic organisation, and yeah. it's, you know, things that have happened over the years, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And I, when I worked there, it was it was a very different different beasts and it was it was great actually it was more more uh, more bbc in a way it wasn't so because obviously a lot of stuff now is sent out to independent production companies um but it was pretty much all done in-house which was good and, and you know you meet and work with some amazing people so i worked across current affairs and classical music so it was a very you know very broad sort of education in that sense um and then you know i what i wanted to end up doing was <clears throat> working for Radio One and, and, and made a vinyl VH, and uh, I achieved that. And then, of course, I remember the quick story when uh, Nightbirds had come out. I was still working at BBC, and John Peel and Walters walked in. They had a copy of the Music Week magazine, which is the, <clears throat> the trade magazine for the music business, and they said, "Bill, well, your album's just gone in at number four. Don't you think it's time to give up your day job?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, that's amazing that you're still working there that late in the day because that's what two three albums in
2: yeah two two albums in two albums in yeah and the only reason i left because we had a tour of uh, japan because nightbirds became a huge uh-huh. hit in japan so we had to go to japan for a two-week tour and i i thought well i've really got to do that so i just had to hand in my resignation and I, I would have carried on because i really enjoyed it you know uh, but if it turned out yeah i wouldn't have time to do it i was i was sad to leave because there was a really nice bunch of people some good characters and uh I had a, you know really really good time there
0: excellent okay um i to do a thing called youtube comments where when i'm doing anatomy of a song look up what what people say on youtube about the song um some good comments here so like i made a playlist on the phone called flying fingers Put on that, anything funk, soul, R and B, grounding, but with killer flying fingers, jazz-like piano solos. This is one of the first on that playlist. I think flying fingers. It's a good description of of Shack Attack and what you do.
2: Flying fingers, I like flying
0: it. fingers. I think it's a good image. Do You think it's quite, I like I a flying fingers playlist? And the Shack
2: Shack <laughs> <laughs> I like flying fingers. That's cool,
0: isn't it? I like that. I remember many, many moons ago dancing with a beautiful girl to this. She's in work today on late. So I'd be dancing with her again. I thought it was a nice one. That's a nice comment.
2: That's very nice. Yeah,
0: beautiful. Uh, one thing I noticed about this band was their music was both happy and unhappy. They are tuneful yet sad. Would you agree with that? I think Shack is quite a, a
2: positive, upbeat kind of. Yeah, vibe. I don't say it's as we might be a bunch of sados, but uh, <laughs> we're um, no. I, I've never thought of our music as being sad. I think it's sort of. Um, pretty optimistic really. I mean, you know, you maybe a few ballads here and there, you know, just but generally, no, I think we're about fun, happiness, love, all the good things in life, you know. Yeah.
0: I'd agree, I agree, we, I agree we with that. On
2: a little bit of,
0: what do we say is that the um darkest, almost negative song in the Shack Attack catalogue. That if somebody believed it was sad as well, that that's the song they point to say that as <laughs>
2: project, Roger I mean, Roger wrote the um we had a song I think it was on the invitations album called Lonely Afternoon, which is a which is a nice ballad, and it's it, that was very early days. We used to we used to play these um, clubs. You used to, they were sort of like variety clubs. I don't know why we were put in them, but you you do six nights, and there was a place called the Golden Garter in Manchester, and we played there. I mean, nice people, nice crowds, and everything. But this particular trip, we they stuck us in this horrible hotel. So he um, wrote this song called Lonely Afternoon because we were all really depressed because <laughs> it was like. why are we staying in this horrible hotel and the weather was pretty crappy and so you know i mean like like anything you know we, we all have our ups and downs Generally, our outlook in life. I mean, my outlook is 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 always, you know, there's always, it's always always positive and upbeat, even in the most difficult times. I mean, I I do have a slight. I don't know if you're a fan of the show Friends, but um, yeah, yeah, my wife and my eldest, they uh, they watch it all the time. I'm not. I I, I I have to say, I mean, I enjoy it and stuff. Anyway, the, the character Chandler, you know, his affliction is that he has to make a little joke about everything. Kind of a bit like that. To, I've got worse, actually, as I've got older. It's almost <laughs> like Tourette's, really. So I, I, I kind of just jump in, and always try and make a positive comment about everything. And I think that's true of all of us. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're playing on uh, Friday. We're doing a gig down near Southampton. Recently, we had a two-week tour of Germany, which was great. And so um, I was just think, even now, you know, we're playing, we're touring, we're going off to Japan later in the year. So we're really lucky, I think, you know, to still be doing it. So um, I do feel really optimistic about well optimistic about us the world itself and what everyone's going through is a different different kettle of fish and i guess we need music art all that kind of thing i think for our soul you know and i think Mm. uh, it becomes more important than ever really sounds a bit political there
0: yeah no it's good i think you've explained why you've been together 40 years because i think that's the key to i mean positivity is key to like and I'm getting through anything, I suppose. And that's a perfect proof, isn't it? The
2: whole thing. We actually, well, you've been, been together since 80, 81? So there's the proof right there. We still enjoy each other's company. You know, we, we have a laugh. We'll get out to have a meal you know, before the show. And, um, you know, even on, on, in Germany stuff, you know, we were, we were, we were touring in a bus for two weeks, which is a long time for us these days. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was a lot of fun. And um, so we don't tour like we used to. I mean, we had one time I think we toured for about four months and that, that was even even then was a long time so so you know like anyone we we you need to have your space as one gets older but uh no we still 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 very positive enjoy it and i think we all feel really lucky we're, we're still doing it.
0: I'm going to test your positivity now with this YouTube comment. Oh, See <laughs> this one, okay, right? The piano, you ready? You ready for this one? You might, uh, the piano player looks like a plumber filling in who can't believe his luck.
2: What's what's that? What's that one on?
0: That's, a, that's a YouTube comment from from what song? Um, I think that must have been down on the street, like a plumber, like a plumber that's filling in who can't believe his luck. Do you remember what you were wearing for that?
2: Performance? Yeah, it was a really expensive can-buy outfit. But <laughs> then it's probably appropriate because plumbers make a lot of money.
0: No, well, I mean, it's a plumber in a very rich area. We have, like, <laughs> upper-class plum it's plumbers. Turned out. It's a positive one to end on, though. My high school punk era did nothing but annoy my father. Once my musical taste evolved in the 80s, I had a cathartic moment in his car, I was getting a lift and took in a Shack Attack tape, banged it in the stereo. Actual praise from father on my music for first and last time. It bridge the generation gap.
2: No, that's nice. That's
0: positive, isn't it? That's good. I like
2: the positive. And you know, I mean, we've had a lot of um negativity thrown at us. When we particularly when we started having hits like Nightbird stuff, we were we were a lot of the press really slagged us off. Um so we 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 used to get a lot of um flack. Some you know, some I thought it was a little unfair really, you know. It's like I remember one review and they said, well any band that's got names like Bill, Keith and Roger can't be any good, you know. <laughs> You know, you you are going to get it aren't you? when you yeah. uh, when you're out there. There are going to be you know a lot of people that uh, that don't like you. And I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm the one you just said is really probably probably quite a nice one in terms of what other people could say.
0: And did it affect you? I mean, was it something you could like accept? Yes, it's going to happen. You're successful. You're going to get this. Or would it be something that stay with you when you got a lot of negative review? I
2: think when it was when it was really personal, perhaps you know it was it was a bit crazy. You know, if people don't like the music, you know, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, we all. There's, you know i'm not certain types of music i'm I'm not a great fan of but when you know when they it's sort of got a bit personal and there's one person i think said it was like a comment like um oh i wish that someone blow his hands off you know that kind of stuff
1: well, that's,
2: that's well yeah that. you know the, the tinkly piano and the oh here we go again more tinkly piano and it's like it was just it was um yeah it was it wasn't great but then now nowadays I'm, i mean i have to say i mean most of the stuff, I don't know if, if when I look on Facebook and when I look on media and stuff, most of the stuff we get is, is pretty pretty much all positive now. Whether stuff is edited out or not, I don't know, because there must still be thousands of people who don't like us. But uh, perhaps, as you know, you get a bit older, people mellow. and um, But generally, no, generally, I have to say, wherever we go now, it's um, it's pretty really positive and great.
0: Well, if you need a lift, I suggest you look on the YouTube comments to, to your songs, because they are overwhelmingly positive saying oh, what the brilliant. track is and oh brilliant I wish i go back to the 80s and this is fantastic and or it could be like i am not listened to this in years and I forgot how much I love this song so it's, it's overwhelming very positive. nice
2: yeah that's nice to hear I yeah. know we have, we have loads you know over the years we have millions of hits and stuff on YouTube and then that's another story because obviously the YouTube and Spotify aren't uh, very uh, kind with the with the sort of payments and stuff that will start me off on another track so we've better move away from that one but no generally you too, and it's great that people can see the stuff and if they're making nice comments then you know thank you very much that's great
0: um in terms of playing it live I assume because it's such a massive hit you have to play it all the time do you ever get tired of playing it live
2: yeah I mean I'm, you know you get you get t- tired not so much playing it live but um I think it's when you get generally when we, we do shows it's the audience reaction to the songs. I mean, we, we, we do still record new music and new albums, and we'll put a few of those in the set, but generally people want to hear, hear the hits. So um, the audience reaction to songs is what really gives you the buzz. When we say, for instance, a song like Nightbirds, <clears throat> as soon as I hit that melody, everybody's like shouting and screaming. They're all doing the piano thing or singing along, and, um, and down on the street, you know, singing like that. So even though you've played a song thousands of times, the audience reaction the fact they're really loving hearing it is the, the thing that makes it worthwhile doing it so so you, you know you could get bit of fed up with it if, obviously if people were just sitting there looking bored but i think the the fact that you get that real lift when you play the songs makes it enjoyable every time really.
1: Come on, we yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, I've got to you quickly before um, the album you made with Gary Newman. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Change Your Mind, which was a hit in 85, top 20 yeah. hit. And then you made an album later in 89. So how, how did that come about? Because it seems like such a, a weird partnership.
2: Yeah, it was actually to do with um, the engineer um, that did um, Down on the Street, actually, and the Out of This World album, Darkest of Night. Uh, there was a guy called Nick Smith, who was um, a great friend. He's... His father actually was a guy called Norman Smith, who was the um, the Beatles' engineer. Oh, right, yes, did, yes. Did all all the albums up till Rubber Soul, so um, it sort of ran in the family. So you know, yeah. Nick always had you know great Beatles stories, which were fantastic because I'm a bit of a Beatles fan. Anyway, so Nick was um, working on Down and Street album, and then I had had talked to Polydor about doing a solo album because I just fancied doing doing a solo album, doing something a bit different, and. uh Nick and I were really close, really good friends, and so I said, "You know, will you do the album?" So great. So we started recording the album, and I had this song. And my plan was I was going to sing it. And I'm, you know, I'll be the first to say that uh, mm. I'm not the greatest singer in the world, but I thought I might give it a go. So we had this track finished, and it was we just thought, "Wow, this is a fantastic backing track. Lots of sound effects and whoa, all this kind of stuff going on." And um, then I sang it, and then within about 10 seconds, Nick put the button down. He said, "Nope, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I said, yep, you're right, you're right. So we had this song, melody, the backing track. It's like, what the hell are we going to do with it? So he'd been working with Gary Newman on his um, last album. So um, we sent him a cassette of the song, and um, he just said, yep, he'd love to do it. So he came into the studio, and I, I think it was pretty much the first take. And he sang it, and um, we sat back, and it was like, wow, that's, you know, like you talk about a hit thing. We just sat back and thought, this is so good. It just suit. I didn't write it with that in but as soon as he sang it, it was like, this is a hit. It's got to be a hit. So we sent it up to Polydor, and they were like, oh my god, straight down there, and um, and that's kind of kind of how it happened. Hey,
0: Take from me, you give up. Reject
1: me if you dare. Get me where I'm asking. And save it all for me. Love does a I'm is how it's meant to be. Why change your mind? Love ever the the same.
2: we did a few other records together and then they agreed to, to for us to do an album together um which was great actually it was great working with gary and, and we're still in touch now you know i'm him uh, now because he lives in america santa monica but he's been touring and he's really become incredibly successful Like sort of godfather of synth pop and all that stuff so mm. Mm. Music's a bit darker now, but everything. But he's, he, yeah, you know, we had some, we had a lot of fun together. But in terms of, um, you know, talking about positive and not positive comments, I mean that's the stuff we did together is a real, I uh, maybe fifty-fifty splitter because a lot of people really like stuff that I did with Gary, and a lot of people really hate it. So the most negative comments I get are people that don't like stuff. Why did he work with that wanker for all that kind of stuff? <laughs> okay. So yeah, you know, and that's fair enough. You know, I mean, it's and some of the comments are quite funny, really. I mean, they're not. It's not horrible, but then there's loads and loads that really liked it too. So I mean, I, I, I the album I think is, is pr- pretty cool, and that particular track, I think uh, I think it still sounds really good. Actually, I'm really proud of that as a production, and also we did a. It was a really good video too, which was uh, which was kind of fun. I and mean, he was doing his blue and white makeup standing there with the confusion and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, as, a, as an overall package, I think it
0: worked really well. And was the writing process with Gary the same as it was with Roger in terms of him
2: writing the lyrics? And you well, funnily did- enough, Roger wrote the lyric to that song. Change your mind, yeah. He wrote the lyric. Yeah. When we when uh, when we did the rest of the album, I locked myself away for two or three weeks and I wrote all the songs. And um, and then uh, Gary wrote the words to the, to the melody. So it was the same... Writing processes with Rog so we didn't actually we didn't write together at all. So
0: actually, you were not, yeah. again, you were in the, the same room together, just going through, just honing the the verse melody or the the vocal
2: melody with the lyrics. Maybe and... a little bit, a little bit, maybe change a yeah. lyric here and there. And stuff yeah, like. that would mainly would have been done in the studio. He just he I just sung the, the you know my little voice and everything. I'd sing the basic melody, and then he just wrote the words to it, and it, it kind of worked, you know. And uh, and he wasn't very in the studio very much. I mean we. We put all the backing tracks together, like Change Your Mind. We had most of it finished, and then he'd come in and sing the songs. And uh, that's how it worked, so it was, it was very easy, actually. I mean, Gary, he's, he's a really nice guy, he's quite, quite, was very, very shy. I mean, I don't know so much these days, but he's a you know, nice guy, and we, we got on well, and people obviously thought it was a bit of a weird combination, which I guess mm. it was, but over the years, I've worked with some you know pretty different kind of people from sort of like Heavy metal to rock to blues to whatever else. Because I, you know, before Shackleton, I was listening to all kinds of music. So I'd, I'll, uh, you know, quite happily get involved with any different thing. You know, if it's mm-hmm. if it's enjoyable. So, uh, but yeah, so no, it was a, it was a nice thing to do for sure.
0: Hagiography, quick fire round.
2: So a song, the song comes on the radio.
0: Do you turn it up, turn it off, or ignore? Oh, turn it up. Turn it up. <laughs> yeah, audience.
1: yeah.
2: Too right. <laughs> Uh, where's the weirdest place you've heard your music? I think, let me say, a supermarket in Borneo. <laughs> okay.
0: And was it your version or was it like a... It was our version. It was your version. Which song?
2: Uh, it would have been um, probably Nightbirds. Nightbirds. Okay, nice. <laughs> Did you notice somebody to say, hey, that's my song, that is? Um, trouble is, I couldn't speak... Borneese. no joke, am i'm joking, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> it's kind of tempting to do that but i generally don't <laughs> i'm amazed how
0: many guests say they wouldn't do that or they haven't done that because that's the yeah. i would definitely do that every time yeah. I, why wouldn't you like, that's yeah. why not tell the world that i i was involved with this great hit single i'd be dying to do that yeah we are but we don't <laughs> too cool for school okay um if you could have anybody cover the song who would he choose
2: oh wow to cover one of our songs yeah i think probably stevie wonder and which one would you pick i'm not sure i'm trying to think of one a song that might suit him um well you know it'd be kind of interesting to see what he would do with down on the street maybe mm. yeah uh, obviously That'd... the instrumental stuff not necessarily but um yeah i mean i mean I, I think he's just one of the great artists you know and he's still still fantastic
0: OK, I always end on the same four questions. What was your biggest professional disappointment of the 80s?
2: I'd have to say when we, um, we had um, Feels Like the Right Time was in 1981 and it came out and um, we did this, um, they used to do recording of a couple of songs, depending on which one went up or went down, it was going to be on Top of the Pops. So we went into the BBC studios and we recorded it and it was between us and Eddie Grant. And um, Eddie's song went into the top 40, and ours didn't. So at the time, you know, it was with, you know, with 81, it was like, God, we might be on top of the pops. This could be something amazing. And I can remember when we were told, it's not going to be you, it was like, I did feel pretty flat, actually. It was pretty, i say depressing, because it was like so close. Yeah. And so far. But fortunately, you know, we carried on, and eventually we got there. But it was actually, at the time, it was... Uh, I was pretty down about it because it was uh, a big thing in those days
0: yeah 41 is the worst chart placing isn't it it's kind of yeah so far did you tell anybody oh we're gonna be on top of the pops and then when you weren't they didn't
2: believe you well a few people because obviously i was excited when you're
0: not on you're making it up like you were never on top of the pops you lie i saw
2: on thursday no i know and then of course we didn't know then that we'd be on top of the pops later Maybe it might be been our only opportunity. So it was like, really, it was, I, I try always avoid the word gutted because it's used so much and yeah. cooking shows particularly. I can't get it, <laughs> I didn't get it through. So I was, I was pissed off, actually. That's better.
0: <laughs> I, I much prefer pissed off to gutted, yeah. yeah. And your best professional moment of the 80s, if you could narrow it down to one specific moment you remember. Well, I have, obviously, I've said, talked
2: about the top of the pops thing already. I guess probably one of the most exciting things Oh, gosh, there are a few, actually. In, this is the 80s, right? So yeah. i say the very first time we went to Japan, we went there in um, the early part of 1983, because Nightbirds was a huge, we didn't realise at the time, it was an absolutely massive song in Japan. I mean, it still is really, really popular. And so we, we had no concept of, that we were well-known out there. So we, we got there and arrived in Japan and got to the hotel and everything, a few people hanging around. We'd sort of like, we were, our mindset was like, oh, you know, one who's staying in the hotel, you know, that kind of thing. And of course, people were like, looking at us and everything. And then we went to do, we, we did seven shows in Tokyo, and we walked, walked out, and in, in, in the theatres in Tokyo, they have the safety curtain down, so it comes up as the intro music starts. And so as the curtain came up, there was this screaming and shouting and everything, and we are like, you know, like the joke of like looking behind us saying, what's happened? Someone's come off stage. And they were running towards the stage, and it was, you know, we didn't realise how incredibly popular we were, and it was like, it was goosebumps, to be honest. It was, because mm. it was, I'd travelled to the States, but I hadn't flown a lot, really. So, and it was such a different culture and such a different country. So to be known and this particular song and some of the other songs and then, you know, after that, we slowly realised how, how successful this album was. But it was the very first time we walked on stage and the curtain came up. That was kind of one of the most exciting moments. It was just extraordinary.
0: The Eternal Jukebox. Uh, have a thing called The Eternal Jukebox, where basically all your music you made in the 80s is wiped, lost forever, apart from three songs. So which three songs of yours would you keep from the 80s? Easier
2: said than done It's my favourite. Probably nightbirds, and um, ooh, doesn't have to be a hit.
0: No, any any song,
2: any song. Was this the 80s, from the 80s, right? So Easton and Nightbirds. God, you know what? It's weird, isn't it? Because there's a lot to choose from, like mm-hmm. like a few. Which woman do you want future generations to be able to hear? Right, that's 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 in, in, in more interest. Easton and Nightbirds. Probably, um, I mean, let's say Down on the Street, because the others are way.
0: So, I was, I was hoping you'd say that. Three, think yeah. That's what the entire episode is about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much I've been before they haven't named the song that, yeah, the anatomy of a song, a song, and think, okay, <laughs> makes sense. Right. To Say, you've been very prolific. Shack Attack have been very prolific over the years. Is there a song you can name from say the last twenty years that you recommend people listen to for those that only know you from the eighties?
2: You say like, listen to this song. Check out what we've been doing because it's still good. Well, I, I think the song that we've um recently done jill and i wrote because nowadays roger and i write together a bit but i do quite a lot of writing with jill our singer jill and we had it was our 40th anniversary in 2020 and um, so we put together a, a package of you know a nice little box set with cds and dvds and stuff and of course it got cancelled because uh, because of covid and stuff so but we wrote Jill and I wrote a song uh, called All Around the World Tonight. Um, and it sort of lyrically, I think she summed up what our journey, our journey and that's another word I hate people saying. <laughs> what yeah. our sort of um, what what we've what we've done in the last 40 years really, which is traveling around the world and making music and trying to make people happy and all that kind of stuff. So so that was that was something that that's the most recent song that, that we what what we wrote. It's kind of slightly retro old style shack Tack, but uh, that's that's our most recent one yes, go.
0: Three words to describe down in the street
2: and what it means to you. Does everybody stop at that when you ask them that
0: one? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> uh, everyone's, like, <laughs> getting blood out of a I'm trying, stone. I'm, like, struggling I'm with two to be, words,
2: and like, <laughs> you know, I like... Yeah, I don't want to be flippant. I could do a flippant answer. Whatever answer feels more comfortable for you. you no, know, I'd say um, down on the street. Three words. Um, I guess, you know, sort of, like, recognition was nice. It was nice. We were sort of recognised. Recognition. Um... Travel because we got to travel the world a lot more, mm-hmm. particularly over, over Europe. It was a big hit all over Europe. Reckoning travel and, um, yeah, happiness
0: that's nice, that's two nice words. Anything else you'd like to declare about the song? What are you going to declare about this song, Mr. Sharp?
2: <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> down jail the streets. you've been arrested for writing this piece of music. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's it's the song that we finished the show with. It's um, still, and it has been for years, it's the one, generally, people are waiting for, the After Nightbirds, all the other hits, so to speak. But Down on the Street is the song we finish with, and it's kind of, um, it still means a lot lot to all of us, really. Still goes down well, wherever we play around the world. I think, and I mentioned travel, I mean, it is, what's amazing for us is it's incredibly international, because we played all over Europe, all over the Far East, South Africa, Mexico. You know, we played, I think I counted up, somewhere like 70 countries. So the music has taken us, it literally taken us on a, on a, on a journey physically, lots of air miles and stuff like that. But mm. so down on the street, there's still the pinnacle song. It's the one everybody sort of waits to hear. You feel as though as soon as we start playing it, everybody's up on their feet. Because I always say, get up on your feet to down on the street so it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of still the um it's the top song so to speak
0: this is the end of the interview thank you very much so many thanks to Bill for that he's a lovely guy Um, and double thanks to him for recording the birthday message from my dad uh, which I sat on for about three months Uh, but but when he eventually got it on his birthday he was really chuffed so a very kind thing to do and much appreciated Uh, you can check out Shack Attack on www.shackattack.com and to leave with I love a good mashup and uh this is a good down the Street mashup with a live Phil Collins version of the Genesis track "I Can't Dance." So enjoy, and our Fida Zane pets.
1: Hot sun beating down, burning my feet and just walking around. Hot sun, gate is getting close. It hasn't. Got talking to me but she's out of reach Mm -hmm. she's got her body under that shit the only thing to rub is my face in the dirt Everything is in place. You never know who you're it up. <laughs> Young folks feeling bare on my shoes. The bad guys talking to me trying to sleep.
2: it's Bill Sharp here from Shackertack. I just wanted to wish you, I've just heard it's your 73rd birthday. So all I can say is well done for getting to 73 and may you have many more happy years. And thank you for listening to our music and whatever you're doing, I hope you have a fantastic day. Happy birthday.
0: That is absolutely perfect. I can't thank you enough for that, Bill. That's brilliant. And thank you for the interview. it wonderful. Pleasure, it's been great. Thank you. Yeah.
1: You and I, we're happy to be just a part of this. Christensen!